Welcome to another episode of Going Back, Back, Back. I'm Brian Gay, and with me as usual is my co-host, Tom Young. Hey, good evening all. We are back with another episode. We got some interesting topics for y'all tonight. We got October 29th to November 4th, historical sports stories. We got to recap the MLB playoffs of the World Series. There's been some drama in the NBA with a James Harden trade. And then, of course, we'll touch on football in Philadelphia here. It's Dallas week. We got to recap week eight as well. And we'll look ahead to see what we got here coming up in week nine. Yeah, I feel like it's interesting. Football is kind of like the most, the least interesting of the bunch right now. Um, Which obviously. is shocking given how big the NFL is in our society today. Yeah, and I mean, just how much you and I both pay attention to it. I mean, it's uh, but there's just a lot of fun stuff going on in other parts of sports. Obviously, baseball wrapping up. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that here in just a second. Yeah, so uh, fun little sports one here for you. I found on Twitter from uh, Sarah Langs at S Langs on Sports. Follow her on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to stick with Twitter. Um, so Will Smith is the first player in MLB, NFL, NBA, or NHL history to appear in at least one game, regular or postseason, with three different championship winning teams in three consecutive seasons. So, Brian, do you know what teams he played for for those three years? Yeah, I don't know what order it is, uh, but it was, I mean, it's the last three champions. It's so be the Braves, the Astros, and the Rangers. Yep, that'd be right. So, started off 2021 with the Braves, 2022 last year with the Astros, and then this year with the Rangers. Yeah, I actually, I saw that fact recently um, because, of course, it came up on the Philly subreddit because the bullpen is kind of a large reason that they were not in the World Series. Um, Someone was like, we need to sign this man immediately. Also, I do browse some of the other baseball subreddits and a lot of the other teams who think they're on the cusp. I would not vouch for Will Smith being signed here in Philly. I would pick another lefty. That's Josh Hader, but we can do a Phillies <laughs> offseason. Yeah, we'll talk about that preview in a couple months. on another Once episode. The, uh, the sting wears off even further. Obviously, it's been a little bit since we've been back together here in uh, the studio, for lack of a better phrase. Um, but now, for lack of not seeing each other, we had a. I mean, I had a good time at the Flyers uh, Sabres game here at Wells Fargo on. Uh, Wednesday night yeah that was good it's always nice to get down to the Wells Fargo Center I don't think there's a bad seat in that place we sat up top had plenty of room because there was not too many fans down there which I think will be expected in the Wells Fargo Center this year for the Flyers they're not really expected to compete for the postseason Um, they're still in that rebuild mode hoping to have a top five pick which would be great there's going to be a couple more good prospects coming out usually is always at the top of the draft but this one might be just as good as last year's um, so I don't expect the Flyers to be any good. Kind of was that way on Wednesday night. They really, <laughs> I mean, they really uh, controlled yes. play for most of the game. Yeah, but they just, actually like, were, couldn't finish. They were dominant for two thirds of that game as I think they outshot the Sabres something like 40 to 15. Yeah, but wow. the Sabres um, took efficient shots, uh, scoring on five of those 15 shots. Whereas, uh, I mean, honestly, I think there was part of it was just fantastic goaltending from Uka Pekalukunen. Uh, for Say Buffalo. that five times fast. Nope, can't do it. I'll just straight up can't do it. I'm not sure he can do it. <laughs> I know I can't do it. No, but I mean, it was really cool to, I mean, more than anything, obviously love to see my Sabres get a win. Um, you know, been a long time fan of them. It was cool to see them in person again for the first time in a while. Uh, but it was just cool to be back at a live hockey game. Well, I, you and I were discussing, I went to a lot of those growing up uh, between the a- AHL Rochester, Rochester Americans and then getting out to Buffalo to see the Sabres. But there really is just something about hockey in person. Uh, I don't know what it is—the energy, the uh, the action, all of the all of it. Just it's a, such a fun feeling. 
And I was having a good time one way or another. You know, we were just having a good time sitting back, watching guys fly up and down the ice. Really, it was pretty good hockey. It was, yeah, just, it was a great game. Just um, if you're a Flyers fan, not the outcome you would like to see. But Brian, for you and your Sabres, can't ask for much more. Five to sure. Three. Yeah, I'm certainly not upset about it. Cool to see a lot of the young guys. Uh, the Sabres have a lot of really fun young talent. Owen Power got the, uh, had the one goal. Tom Tage Thompson had one. Uh, Brandon Biro, those were his first two NHL goals, which was kind of cool. Uh, it's always cool to see. And then Tage Thompson, that was the goal that was a backbreaker. That was the backbreaker. Bad turnover in the defensive zone from the Flyers. Ended up with Tage Thompson sitting wide open in front of the net. And that's just a guy you can't give that space or that time. Fired a wrist or passed uh, whoever the Flyers' backup goalie is. Sam Erson. Yeah, I'd say you, I knew you'd, you You actually told me his name last time. On yeah, Carter the Hart unfortunately left the game in the first period with an injury. Looks like he's going to be potentially out two to six weeks. They said he was day-to-day today, but initial report was two to six weeks well, out for it was, Carter Hart. Kind of hot. It was crazy with the way the game ended up because that first period was back and forth. Really well-contested game. and then 2-2 yeah, two, two at the end of one, and then just... Coming out, the Flyers had their foot on the gas. They just could not put the puck in the net. Um, the Sabres looked outmatched all night. So I'm curious to see where that goes. As of our time of recording here at Friday night, um, the Sabres Flyers are on the second half of their home and home here in about seven minutes. Yeah, puck dropping about like 15 here. So Yeah, so um, that was cool, though, to get back. I love I love hockey. It's a game I always wish I got to play, but um, obviously a little cost prohibitive. And my f- parents were uh, not – I was already so involved in basketball. You can't really do two winter sports like that. No, it makes it difficult. And – I agree with you, Brian. I feel like hockey in person is the best to watch. It really can make you appreciate the speed that the guys play with. The They don't look nearly as fast on the TV as they do when you see it in no, person. It, it's tougher to track the puck on TV, in my opinion, too. From someone who's watched hockey from a very young age, I've just you kind of just like follow the camera almost instead of trying to track the puck. Yeah. And it allows you to keep up with where the play is. Absolutely. Because you get it along the boards, it's really tough to see that you know black little disc on yeah. TV when the camera is, what, 100 feet away probably if not more sometimes yeah and it's one of those things where we were set up in 220 so we were on the one of the ends of the the stadium behind the one goal and honestly for some sports might not be the best like basketball you're gonna have the backboard and stuff kind of in the way um it was it's a great seat for hockey though you saw you could see every inch of the action knew where the puck was at at all times see the puck go in the net every chance every every opportunity it was really cool and it's just i think hockey is something that you don't really appreciate until you see it in person no, I would say like there's something about being down at the ballpark watching a game, but it's much it's a much more laid back atmosphere at a yeah. regular season baseball game. Obviously, postseason is a whole different animal. As you got to experience, Brian, you don't <laughs> sit down the whole time. Yeah, that video. was phenomenal. You only sit in between innings. Um, but just hockey like allows you to then appreciate the stick handling and the shooting, and you can. We were talking about this at the game too. You can sometimes very very well see like the play like develop yes especially yes. if there's like a drop pass or a tic-tac-toe uh, like, something really beautiful about a well-executed play in hockey there is and that's why i've always liked hockey i played it for a few years growing up always played outside here in the delaware county area unfortunately we don't get those cold winters anymore um, <laughs> yeah. so it's tough to play outdoor hockey that would come cool. winter time that was one of the best things ever getting to come home after school lace them up go and eat dinner go back lace them up again afterwards that is but, pretty cool. We were roller hockey uh, back home for me, but, man, that sounds fun. It was. It was great. Starting first grade all the way through high school was something to look forward to every winter. But we don't need to keep talking about my childhood. It's all right. It's all right. This is the Tom. Tom dives into his past uh, episode. We could be here for a while. <laughs> um, 
I actually find it amusing that you and I have been real good friends now for it's been almost seven years at this point. And somehow this was we've been to a number of Phillies games together. Um, we spent plenty of time. Together. It's the first time, though. And we've talked plenty of hockey. First time we ever actually got to a game together. And, I, you know, I'm not sure what took so long, but it, I do plan on getting back, even if it's not the Sabres in town. There's just something really awesome about a night at the hockey uh, night at the arena, night at the rink. Yeah, I 100% wholeheartedly agree and didn't help, um, does help, I should say, that the tickets were, what, under 30 bucks too? Yeah, $22 a person so, without without the fees. Even under 30 bucks per person with the fees, which, I mean, hey, for all things considered, way better than what we paid for <laughs> for the NLCS. But uh, honestly, moving into that note, I think it's kind of a perfect transition. We didn't record last week, not because we were both so depressed that we didn't want to talk about it, but life just gets in the way, as it tends to do. But it sure does. But baseball season has wrapped up, and you know, as much as I would have preferred to see uh, the trophy coming through Philly, you know, I love seeing a first time, a first time champion, and I think that's just the underdog, the Bills fan, Sabres fan, and me. Um, I love seeing first time champions come through. So, congratulations to the Texas Rangers. Uh, Corey Seager just proved why he's he's they paid him the money they did. Um, just amazing that both teams in the World Series also. I believe they had both lost a hundred games. Uh, yeah, two, over 100 games two years ago and two years ago no and both ended up in the world series i don't think it was the greatest for baseball as like a sport because no, and ratings were way down for it yeah too. because who, honestly like who cares like they're not they're two teams that don't really excite people which is i don't fully get because i think the rangers have a lot of cool talent but they're not big name marquee talent it's very good talent but it's not the faces of the league yeah i mean marcus simeon Corey seager they're two most hot high profile bats and then Jacob DeGrom, unfortunately, out after two months of playing baseball. Max Scherzer wasn't healthy like all postseason. Ended up getting hurt again in game three there when he was pitching. Yeah, the, st- that, like, the star power came back to him. The star power was lacking big time in this series. I mean, Adoles Garcia is a very good player, but he's not a star yet. I mean, he no. definitely was Could shining be. in the postseason. We'll see if he can carry that over into the 2024 year. Yeah. Um, and then the Really, after that, they have Josh Jung, young yeah. player. He was a rookie. Leody Tavares, I think that's his third year in the league yeah, now. Leody Tavares. Uh, He's jo- been up and down. Jonah uh, Heim seems to be putting something together as a, a switch hitting catcher. Yeah, Mitch out of Garver. Buffalo, New York. Shout out Jonah Heim. Mitch Garver actually played. Weirdly enough, there's a couple of guys that I remember seeing play in the minors. Because he was a I Twins know. guy originally. Yeah, he was. He played in Rochester for a while, but um who was the other guy there was one more i mean they got Lowe. some young some young guns evan carter yeah evan carter big, looked very good big 21 lefty. years old yeah they a lot of cool i think the best thing is if you're like a real big baseball fan and those are the people that sat through those games beyond just the diamondbacks and rangers fans is there's a lot of really fun young talent that was in this world series the diamondbacks are loaded with fun young talent and as much as it pains me to say that because they knocked us out corbin carroll's arguably one of my favorite players to watch in baseball and he's a rookie he looks like he could be the next big thing in baseball the diamondbacks are definitely very lucky to have him um he did not do a whole lot in the phillies series up no, until, game until seven. it mattered and i mean i think we do need to just touch on the phillies here for a second since we are both phillies fans here brian yeah let's open up this wound ah man uh, <laughs> let's take a break and come back oh, God. Uh, um so with the phillies I don't where do I want to start? Let's see. So game 
Game two, we were at. You win 10 to nothing. Amazing. One of the greatest sports experiences of my life. It really was. Um, I can't really add much more to it. Than no, that. just so awesome. I didn't, and I said this when we were recording our last episode, we were watching game three that night as we recorded. I didn't yeah. expect them to sweep the Diamondbacks. Like, that wasn't what I thought was going to happen. No. <clears throat> I thought it was going to be Phillies and six. So, sure. when you lose two in Arizona, I was like, okay. But the way you lose game three and lose game four, yeah. it just really hurts because you know you then have Zach Wheeler for game five, which turned out as what we thought would happen. He posted a win. Absolute monster. Game Shout out, Zach Wheeler. Game four is what really bothers me, though. Game six and seven, it's like the batch just didn't show up, but you had game four right there for the taking. And then you would be up three to one with Zach Wheeler on the mound the next day and the series, and you're four wins away from the being world champions. I guess a team that you very well should have and would have could have been. Yes, I think the Rangers were a much better matchup than the Astros for the Phillies, so everything was kind of falling right in line for them. Absolutely. Um, so you're up 5-2 to two in game four. My issue was Christopher Sanchez. I get he started. He was, I would have went with him to over Tywon Walker. I didn't disagree with that. But no, I thought he threw pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, he made he had a couple mental the one mental error and he made a throwing error as well. So like, I get it. Maybe some nerves for a young guy. But sure. For me, why is Taiwan Walker on the postseason roster? He wasn't used oh, at know. all. I so, honestly understand why, and I understand him being upset. He's been pretty visibly and publicly upset about it, and I fully understand why. You watch the performance, you watch your team crumble like that, and you didn't even get a chance. So I understand why he wasn't used in the wild card round because it's a best of three. You're not you sure. Don't need, don't need him. NLDS best of five with the way the schedule is set up. You wouldn't need him there either. But you know, with the NLCS and way the schedule is set up for that, that you would need somebody as a four starter. So I personally would have went Sanchez, and then if Sanchez is in like the middle of an inning, you bring in someone like a Jeff Hoffman or Sir Anthony, one of your big guys out of the bullpen, get out of the sure. inning, and then you give Taiwan Walker a fresh start and hope you get like three innings out of him. Instead, Thompson went to the bullpen game, which he hopefully <laughs> didn't have to use a lot of guys the day before because Ranger Suarez had a good outing. outing. But, like, it was just so frustrating because it was right there for the taking. And Craig Kimbrell should not have seen that mound in game four. Um, he threw 20-some pitches the night before in game three. Well, yeah, especially after blowing it in game three. Like, he just – he had a very good season – for the Phillies. I don't want to take away for what Way he did better during than the regular I, season. I think if you go back to us in the preseason conversation, we were not very excited about that. But I the mean, potential. So the potential with Craig Kimbrell is great, obviously, with his track record as a pitcher, but the track record the past couple of years has been very up and down. But that is life as a reliever. So sure. you kind of take it... Like, okay, maybe this year he bounces back. And he certainly did, but I think they overused him in the regular season because they had a lot of close games. And then because of that, his arm was not the same come the postseason. Unfortunately, that led to him allowing a couple more runs in game four. And then next thing you know, it's tied up. And then Arizona takes the lead. They steal game four. We come back, win game five. You're like, all right, we got two games at home. Just got to win one. And then unfortunately, the bats just didn't show up. I don't ugly. really. I mean, really, really ugly. I think the stat I saw was like over 23 combined in game six and seven from Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, and Nick Cassiatos. Yeah, half a billion dollars combined between the three of them. Over half a billion. That's about $700 million but in I, salary, and they all disappeared. Yeah, Grant, all at the wrong time, all at the same time, and, and just not great. I will largely credit 
the Arizona pitching staff, bullpen, their coaching, because they picked up on what you and I and every other Phillies fan has seen all year, and it's that these guys love to chase pitches. They swing at anything. Yes, so, and they want to hit home runs on every single pitch. So you live and die by the long ball. And everybody wanted to be a hero when all we needed went on the opposite side. They were just putting the ball in play. The Diamondbacks were hitting eight, nine, ten hits a game. Yeah, and they manufactured runs. Like, with the Phillies, like, I get the approach. Like, go up there. If you're going to swing the first time you do swing, trying to hit a run, okay, fine. But then after that, you have to change your approach and, like, tighten it up, try and just get a base hit. Yep, put the bat on the ball. Then get into, like, an advantageous count again where you're up, like, 3-1. Sure, take another big hack. But then, like, if you're in 3-2, you can't be just trying to hit a home run again. Get the ball in play, next man up mentality, and just let the merry round get have it get going. We saw that kind of happen in game two as well because that wasn't like a game where they hit a bunch of home runs. Yeah, that was a lot more base hits, and, and that's how they won ten to nothing. Four home runs, but <laughs> but you need a lot of base hits to get ten runs out of that. I definitely get. I'm a hundred percent on board with you. I was sitting here, and I'm sure Abby could certainly attest. I was sitting there like, just shorten your swing. Just make contact. It was driving me nuts. I'm not saying that I'm any. I'm not a professional. I'm not a coach. I'm just somebody that loves baseball, and you could see the way they were swinging the bat that they were trying to change the game in one swing at a time. Yeah, not, I think they all started pressing a little bit too. Like, the right? one- Yeah, the guy, uh, Bryce is somebody that I always, I truly implicitly always trust up there. And even he just looked lost because he was trying. It was he was trying too hard, which I get. The adrenaline's going in the moment. I can see how you can get lost in that, but yeah, I can too. And I God, so, it's frustrating. It is, and we don't want to spend the whole episode talking the Phillies. So I'll kind of wrap up my last point here. <laughs> That's fine. Go ahead. With the with the crowd at, in Philadelphia, the way that it just becomes like so overwhelming for those opposing players is when the Phillies get out in front early. If you can take yes. like a one nothing lead or like. Zero, zero. And when I mean one nothing lead, I mean by like the opposing team. Oh, I see what you're saying. When they take an early lead, if the Phillies don't come back right then and there and like tie it up or like at least get one if the other team scores multiple, yeah. the crowd can kind of get out of it. And like rightfully so, you're not as like intrigued to it because you're losing. You're not going like to go hard. wild and you're down three runs. Yeah. It's hard to be going at the top of your lungs and like trying to will on your team when they're down like that you want to but like doesn't doesn't have the same like mm, behind it you know sure so because of that the diamondbacks were able to take the philly crowd out kind of both games very much in six and seven yeah definitely game six i think game seven the crowd the crowd came out hot yeah and ready to roll if i'm not mistaken arizona scored first we came back tied it then we took a three two lead and then they won what Five three, five three, three, something like that. Yeah, four two, whatever it was. But it was just like, and then from seven eight nine, they didn't get one base hit. They went down in order each each time. Yeah, very frustrating. Definitely was not um, not something that I personally have been trying to dwell on because it was a fun ride and it ended just it went out in such a fizzle. Um, it's very disappointing, but something um, to kind of really change the tone. There was another news story, another very exciting uh, event that happened that I think excited a lot of people, a lot of Philadelphia sports fans, and can lead us into our next sport. And that's the the Philadelphia Sixer, 76ers finally traded James Harden. Woo! Now, if you've listened to this podcast at all and we talk basketball, you know my opinion. James Harden's a loser, yeah, and we wanted him James out. Harden fans. And we got him out. Decent enough return, you know. I kind of I like it enough. The Sixers are looking 
perfectly fine without him. Tyrese Maxey's looking like he's turning into a credible all-star. Yeah, very much an all-star candidate. I mean, granted, we're five games into the season, four games, whatever it might be. Um, so it's a little early to say anything too crazy, but like, hey, he's looking the part. And they brought in some good solid depth. But for me, it's just the drama's over. And I think that this is going to go so poorly for the Clippers. Oh, have, I can't wait. You have four ball first, ball handling players. Yeah, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Yes. They, only one ball out there. Yes. And I don't see how that's going to work at all unless these guys can actually finally. No, because Westbrook is ball dominant guard and so is Harden. Westbrook needs to be a ball dominant guard because he provides zero value for. Yeah, from a shooting shoot perspective. Very well from three. You see, you need him to be able to dish the ball and drive to the rim. And Harden has not become like a good like spot up shooter and he doesn't want to do that. He was saying he was like a assist not a system yes, player I'm here not, in Philly or something. I'm I don't not remember he said, the exact quote. He, the quote was, I'm not a system player, I am the system. Right. Like get, which get a grip, dude. You're like thirty five years old at ass, this point. Dude, that's uh, screw you. I hope that the whole Clippers experiment crumbles just like oh, I don't know, Houston did. Or, I don't know, Brooklyn. You know, the Sixers, they looked all right, but largely that's because we had the MVP uh, on the court last year with him. Uh, I hope L.A., the Clippers uh, experiment goes horribly. One experiment that's not, though, how about these Spurs? Victor Victor Wembenyama looks like the real freaking deal. 38 points leading them to -to back-to-back wins over the Suns. Impressive. Guardian KD. One second on James Harden. Sure, sure. sure. Yeah, bring it back. He needs to open up like a consulting firm or something because he gets whatever he wants whenever he wants. Uh, He needs to do something. He's got to have dirt on somebody or I don't know what it is because he gets his way all the time. It's wild. And for what? And for what? Because like clearly there is a, um, I'm drawing a blank on what word I want to use here. There's a, um, I don't know. We're just going to move on. He's He's got a An attitude problem, a reputation. He, uh, everywhere he goes, the minute the going gets tough, he decides yeah, to he crumble and leave. Uh, yeah, he is a snake. Just, I mean, he's not Kevin Durant-level snake, sneaky, uh, just crappy decision-making, but he's up there. It's He refuses to put in the work beyond what works for him. And, like, listen, hey, he's, a bit, he's his own business. He's made hundreds of millions of dollars in his NBA career. Like it's worked for him, but as a fan, as somebody who wants to see your team win a championship, I don't care about your personal accolades and they're all irrelevant to me. Yeah. I, and like just thinking as somebody who used to compete, who used to be an athlete such as yourself, I, he was the kind of guy you hated to play with. Yeah. I hated playing with guys like him who just was me, me, me didn't play for the team. And honestly, they cost, they, they cost you games because they don't care. If it's if it's not them putting up points or putting up stats, they don't care. Not at all. Now I will say with the trade, the um, Sixers, I feel like they definitely win it. We, to me, Harden at this point in his career, he's just like doesn't have it anymore. No, yeah. he's just so, out here collecting a paycheck. And he's hey, good for him when you can make thirty five million a year to play basketball and not show up for the first <laughs> couple games. Yeah, he's made more more in in the time it's taken to, for us to talk about this conversation than either of us do in a year. So lucky him. Well, <laughs> I don't want to get any more agitated about how much money he makes. But oh, I will. The return the Sixers got. So, yeah, they got role players in Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, all guys like past their prime. Solid role players, hopefully, at this point. K.J. Martin's a good, solid, young role player. Can be a part of rotation. Energy guy. But I like the fact that they got a 2028 unprotected first-round pick from the Clippers. That could be quite valuable in the future. 
That's five years down the road, and what they're trying to do right now could fall apart so badly. That's what I mean. Like, unless they somehow then get other free agents to come to L.A. I mean, I get L.A. is an attractive destination, but for my liking, I would pick the Lakers, a much more storied franchise if I was to go to L.A. I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. I don't think either of those teams really worry me too much. I mean, the Lakers, I think as long as LeBron's around, they're going to compete. I mean, five years down the road is just so far away. Like, you don't know what's going to happen in the NBA landscape in five years. That's my question, though, is I don't think we see that pick happen for the Sixers. I I think that's going to be a trade chip. And trade it. Because they're going to have about $60 million in um, cap space this offseason. Yes. Harden off the books. All these guys they acquired are on expiring contracts, and Tobias Harris' money comes off the books as well. Yeah. So that leaves anywhere from like fifty to sixty-five million dollars, depending on like who they bring back, resign. Yeah, and realistically, you only have you don't know how much more of this quality of Joel Embiid you have, because his fortunately, you know, knock on this fake wood table right here, he has been he's remained pretty healthy the past couple of years. He's leading the Sixers in all major categories right now. Points. Oh yeah, rebounds and assists. He's amazing when he's <laughs> he's amazing. It's just like his body is not going to be built to last long term. So you need to take advantage of this window now, especially with an ascending maxi. Um, if you can just bring in, I haven't actually personally watched the Sixers game yet. I, I've watched a little bit, but it's averaging 30, 11, and 7. Who's running the point? Is it maxi? Yes. Okay. So I kind of assume that might be the case. But my question is, do you, because in my mind, you either bring in a stretch three guy. You know, it's almost like someone like Jimmy Butler, but hey, you know, we would never be able to get him. Wait, the Sixers did have him. Yeah, I know. What happened? A, uh, yeah, I still wonder that to this day. That was the downfall of all of this. It again, um, but I think you bring in either like a long, a true like high quality wing, Zach Levine. Yeah, but even Levine, I feel like is an on ball. He's a shooting guard that needs the ball in his hand a lot. Yeah, um, but I like I do like Levine. If you're gonna bring somebody in, I think he's a good option. Um, so I'm just curious to see what direction they move. I think a lot, a lot of that is still going to be predicated on the growth of Tyrese Maxey and whether he shows that he needs the ball in his hands and, he, and is a good facilitator or do you bring in like a solid, true point guard, ball mover like, you know, they should have, I think, still think they should have taken a swing at Damian Lillard for what it took for Milwaukee to get him. There should have been an offer on the table from the Sixers. If there wasn't, there should have been. Because um, I think he, it's a guy like that is who, Personally, I would like to see here, just from the perspective of the way he would be able to play a pick-and-roll game with Joel Embiid. Yeah, that would have been awesome. An inside-out game. And then you open up Maxi by bringing... Because Maxi's balling right now. He's averaging 30 points a game. I think you bring in a ball handler, a high-end ball handler. Like I would love to see a guy like a Tyrese Halliburton. Bring De'Aaron Fox over or something like that. That'd be awesome. Um, and then you can leave... You can, that leaves Maxi to work to get open player on the outside his shooting is clearly seems to continue to be on the up and up um he's just someone who's improving each and every year he's been in the league honestly what you want to see it's amazing just the minute they traded james harden i got interested in the sixers again it's uh, (laughs) it's just that's a lot uh mutual feeling around town here in philadelphia too because they knew everybody was like well we've had these second round disappointments past couple years like what excitement do you really have going into the season you bring him in and all the drama with him maybe it's worth it if they get into the the conference finals or a championship series but he's not worth the drama just to do what we've done 
for the past few years. No, it's like Groundhog's Day. It just keeps the same stuff just keeps happening and happening. Like All right. nothing has changed. Yeah, for sure. So we, we were talking Victor Wembanyama. I was going to say, but outside of Philadelphia. Before I got sidetracked on James Harden and went down a James Harden spiral to I promise that we pay attention irrelevant. to sports outside of Philadelphia and Buffalo. I, I swear we do. <laughs> yeah, Victor Wembanyama. I mean, he just looks oh. like a freak. Like yeah. how... If, I hope this guy stays healthy first and foremost. God, I seriously though, like being seven foot three with what, like an eight foot wingspan, who can they're, dribble and they're shoot touting the ball. him at seven foot four now. He'll he'll be considered seven foot nine before you know it. They just keep I adding. Mean, he's an what age. eighteen years old though, like <laughs> nineteen years you old. You can still keep growing at that age. It's not like unheard of. I think they were saying Ben Simmons even like grew a couple inches like from when he left college to. His first like couple years. We're in the about NBA. to see Yao Ming playing the point, yeah. <laughs> playing the point in San and Antonio. He's, he's smooth too. It's not like it's ugly. Like he's he's confident out there. Oh, and he and looks he's good. And he's playing under, well, I arguably the greatest NBA coach of the past couple decades, in Greg Popovich. Yeah, no arguments here. And for me. he's playing. I mean, what was it last night against the Suns? Thirty-eight points. Yeah, ten boards, and like he's shutting down Kevin Durant because he's like. Kevin Durant's big thing is like he's so tall and like long athletic yeah. that guards are quick enough to keep him in front of him, but he can then just pull up like a mid range and then shoot over them. Yeah. And then big guys are not quick enough to stay with him, so he just blows past them. Well, with Wembenyana, he's able to keep him in front of him. And then if KD does decide to pull up, he can have a very large hand contested in the face because of his wingspan. Wembenyama is to Kevin Durant what Kevin Durant was to the rest of the league when he showed up. Yeah, that's Because Durant that's was, like, I just, I know I ever just refer to him as a snake, but he was revolutionary when he came into this game as a six, lank, long, lanky six. He claims 6'10", but there's lots of reports out there that he's seven feet tall, but he didn't want to get um, measured that way because you automatically get shoehorned into being a center at that point. So there's lots of talk out there that he's over seven feet tall. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised. But then you see him up against. So then, then all of a sudden, this 19 year old French kid comes into the league who is five, six inches taller than you, and can do everything that you can do, and play way better defense. I mean, Victor Wembanyama. Wembanyama. I know he's been talked about as a generational talent, as a game changing talent. It really, truly does seem to be the case. We hear that because we hear that a lot. Every every top recruit is a game changer of some and someone. This kid is truly freak generational talent that we haven't seen ever. I don't think. No, I mean the last generational talent would you say is LeBron? LeBron. I In mean, basketball, it's got to be LeBron. Like KD has become that generational type talent, but he was never like touted like that out of Texas. No, and, and honestly, he just he's never been able to do what LeBron has done. LeBron, as much as you love or hate the guy, he has been consistently on the court. I would say he's also exceeded expectations for like what was said for him coming out of Who high LeBron, school. Yes. Which is crazy because he was like the second coming of Jordan out of high school and they were 100% correct. No, I'm not going to say he is better than Jordan, but I will say he has met expectations and exceeded them. I don't think... I, I hate... The, there's The whole greatest of all time conversation in general is so skewed because... The game different so eras, different. Yes, different eras. The game has changed. Things have changed over time. I think what you need to really do is just appreciate these guys for what they do and when they do it because they can't pick what era they played in. I would love to see LeBron have played in the 80s and the 90s when things were more physical, more aggressive. But he also, he's been playing since 2003 in the league. The league was very different 20 years ago. The league was very different 10 years ago. Yes, yes. The league, Steph Curry changed the, changed the NBA. 
to what it is now. Yeah, I love Steph Curry, player. but like screw you, dude, because he really he single handedly changed the game of basketball in that every kid wanted to do what he was doing, and he showed if you can learn to shoot well, you have a chance. Doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. And I don't, and that's part of the reason I personally have fallen away from the game of basketball. Um, at least on the NBA level, is because it's changed so much from the game that I grew up playing and loving. Yeah, so about space and pace. Yeah, so it's I love, but I'm I love the young talent coming up right now. Um, a lot of the these young guys coming through the NBA. Wembenyama obviously is super fun to watch. Oklahoma City has a really cool young core that I find really fascinating. Yeah, Chet Holmgren, SGA. Yeah, and they're looking really good this year. Like it's Jalen Williams, Josh, Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy is a matchup nightmare just for the way he plays. Chet Holmgren is for the fact that he's a long, lanky beanpole. Uh, yeah, if he can put some weight on, like watch out for him too. He missed all last year, and now he's back, and he's anchoring the middle of that defense. And when you got a seven foot two. Long lanky dude like that who knows how to block shots. So you can be big and not know how to block shots and stuff, but he's a very good defensive player on top of his scoring. It's um they're dangerous. They're dangerous for sure. There's a lot of fun now. I don't know how fun this is gonna be, but the NBA in season tournament. Like I'm G I don't know much of anything about this. I don't so. know about it either. And Bones Highland, who's on the Clippers now, I believe, he was yeah. asked about it. He's like I don't know anything about it. It's so like, what does that tell you if one of the your own <laughs> right. players in the league doesn't know about it? Like, I don't know the format. Brian, you don't know the format. I have no clue. I don't know what the what's the purpose. I don't know either. And like, I saw, I think Tyrese Halliburton said that like there should be something on the line for winning the yeah, tournament. There is a guaranteed there, playoff. There is for coaches. There is for coaches. Coaches get uh, compensated better. They get bonuses from the NBA. They just announced that today. Whoop de doo. But I'm with you. I think if you win that tournament, I think you should be guaranteed a playoff spot or something. Or like a either a playoff spot or like an increased lottery percentage or something. Yeah, like, if you don't make the playoffs. Because like, like say you win that tournament, then you have a you win that tournament partway in early in the season or partway through the season, you can just coast for the rest of the year if you really want. If you if you're guaranteed a playoff spot. Right, but here's my thing. Why are we doing this right now five, six games into the season? This should be like a mid-year type tournament none to of like spark not, more interest in the league, right? None of it makes any sense. They're, I don't know if they're trying to bank on like the so, the soccer because soccer does a lot of in-season tournaments and stuff like that. It's the only sport I can think of that does beyond, I guess, basketball now. Yeah, I don't know any either. Obviously, in college basketball, you have your conference tournaments at the end of the year to determine like, if you get into the... March Madness, which but, is awesome, one of the best times of the year. Yeah, definitely, and I can't wait. But like, what? Why? Like, you're still competing with the NFL. Do it in like January after Christmas, when more people are paying attention to the NBA. Yeah, and showcase this new, quote unquote, like product that you're gonna roll out to, to the league and the fans. Well, it's a, it's a it's a cash grab, and um, like I said, I think they were trying to take on after the like the style like what soccer's doing. So like. Across overseas, they have in-season tournaments, Champions League stuff like that. MLS had does has started to implement some of that stuff too. So, like the Union this year, Union, the Philadelphia Union have been one of the better teams, if not one of the best teams in the Major League Soccer the past few years. This year, they had a second tournament. I believe it was the first time they'd done this. It was a tournament that involved the, the MLS and Liga MX in Mexico. And last year, there was already complaints that like this, there was too many games in the season. And then they went and added another tournament on top of it. And it's just like, it's too much. 
the amount of how strenuous soccer is. These guys are running miles and miles and miles a game. Yeah, especially if you're a midfielder. Yeah, so then you add on then you add on these tournaments and then, you know, if you got guys that are getting international international duty, they got to go play for their teams and you got multiple tournaments and then they have a playoff structure that for some reason is a best of 3 series. Why is soccer? Why do you have a best of 3 for soccer? I don't know. But it's just it's it's all cash grabs. Everyone it's all it's a lot of it's greed. Um, because like 80, as if 82 games in the NBA isn't enough. No, I don't know. I don't know. And, and to do it this early in the season, just, it has no relevance. Like what's the purpose? Yeah, that's where I'm I guess, at. Hey, you know what? We'll look into that next episode. We'll come back and see if we figured out what the, <laughs> what the purpose was. Yeah. It's a good action item for us to follow up on and discuss next week. Yeah. So there's going to be, obviously, I think we'll talk more basketball for sure. I know I'm going to, I have some interest in watching some games coming up. Yeah. And I play fantasy basketball too. So I'm usually pretty involved in the NBA. Just you, yeah. You are the bigger of the, of the two of us. You're definitely the bigger fantasy guy. I'm in four fantasy football leagues and I realistically only want to be in two. And even those, I don't really care to, I just want to watch the sport, enjoy it. Yeah, but I, I do love fantasy sports because it does adds a little incentive to every game. Yeah, it makes you pay attention to like actually what's going on. I feel like if yeah, I for sure. didn't do fantasy sports in general, I don't know. Like I would still watch sports, but I don't think I would be as into them. I would be much more of a casual fan perhaps compared to watching every Phillies game, checking on the scores every sure. night. Like, Well, it's funny because like I, I hate to say it. I almost feel I am definitely more of a casual fan for m- most sports these days. But the thing is, and the reason that we do this podcast is I love the history and the tradition and the storylines. And I, I love to pay attention to what's going on. I just don't, you know, I'm not going to take the time to sit down and watch every single game. Actually, by the end of the Phillies playoff run, I was pretty tired of sitting down watching a sporting event every night. And like, because I knew, knew I wanted to do that. Yeah, and you know, your day has to be like. Not your day, but your like your night after work. Your evening eaten up by watching that game. And you're and not then, doing anything else. Then I, you got the bills on Sunday or Thursday or Monday, whenever. And it's just it, it was becoming a lot. And uh, I don't know. I just I love I love all the games. I love all the teams. But it's just like it can be so much to try to stay on top of all the time that man, you can go crazy trying to do it all. And but fantasy sports makes it easy to do so because. Yeah, you know what's going on because you know what your guys are doing. And then if you know what your guys are doing, you know if their team is winning or losing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So very interesting. But hey, Tom, real quick, we do have some fun sports history stories coming at you here in just a few minutes. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors, and we will be right back. This episode of Going Back, Back, Back is brought to you by Rucci Heating and Cooling LLC, located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. For all of your heating, air conditioning, and plumbing needs, call the professionals today at 484 484- 849-1015. Rucci Heating and Cooling LLC, the one-stop call for your business and or home. Call them again at 484-849-1015. And we're back. Good evening, everybody. We are drinking the fine Levante Brewing Oktoberfest. I'm sorry, Levante. Excuse me. Workhorse. The Workhorse Brewing Oktoberfest. We were on the Levante kick for, for I know. I just so. assumed it was Levante for some reason. <laughs> but no, the Workhorse Brewing out of King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. An Oktoberfest, Brian, you said you've been on an Oktoberfest kick lately. I haven't been as much, but I probably should be because this is a really good one. I'm, Not a heavy alcohol percentage, 5.8. No. But it's no, definitely crisp. It's good. Very refreshing. Yeah, so definitely um, we did talk about it a little bit when we, we cracked these before we started, but I, you know, personally, I, I haven't, I just haven't been drinking a whole lot lately, um, but I've been kind of trying to avoid the higher ABVs. 
So I, you know, I do love a good IPA. We, you and I have consumed many, many a good IPA together, but I just needed a change in the, specifically this, you know, they're all labeled as Oktoberfest for the most part, but the Marzen style beers that like this really good multi sweetness, just real good body to it. I'm a big fan of, of all of them. Um, the Yingling Oktoberfest is a great, great way to get your feet wet with it. It's like nine or 10 bucks for a six pack. Um, just adds a little extra something, but yeah, very on board. When you told me that you were bringing this one, I was, I'm very here for it. I just definitely, uh, tastes are changing and maybe it's just us getting older. I would say so. <laughs> and I've been leaning more towards the West coast IPAs lately. Yeah. Like when I'm drinking IPAs. Yeah. I do hang to the West coast. There's something about those hazy IPAs that just sit so like heavy. The West Coast ones, even though they're a little more bitter, sit so heavy they uh, they don't sit right. No, and <laughs> you can only have like one or two. Then you're like, all right, enough of this. Yeah, no, I definitely feel them the next morning a lot more than I used to. So like, I find I tend to look for these clear, crisp beers. Um, the maltier profiles definitely work for me pretty well these days. I'm, I'm a fan. You and me both, but we're not here to talk about beer. We're, we're here, here to talk, talk sports. sports, right? We sure are. And uh, Tom, I believe you're leading us off on our sports stories tonight. We only have two apiece tonight, just because we knew we had so much of current, so much, so much current sport. Yeah, we had the week hiatus, so we didn't. Yeah, bog yeah. Everyone down and. But I think we got a few fun, a uh, few fun little sports history stories for you. I would say so. Let's go back, back, back to October 30th, 1945. Again, we're going to review stories from October 29th to November 4th. Um, so 1945, October 30th, Branch Rickey, then GM of the Brooklyn Dodgers, signs Jackie Robinson to the Montreal Royals. So the Royals, they were a minor league affiliate of the Brooklyn Dodgers. So Jackie would play one year in the minors before making his big league debut in 1947. That year in minor league baseball, he had a slash line of 349 batting average, 468 on base, and then 462 slugging. So clearly he didn't have much power as his slugging was lower than his on base percentage. And the numbers do back it up. Of his 135 hits that season, 119 were singles. So he did manage to steal 40 bags, <laughs> walked 92 times, and struck out only 27 times at the plate in a total of 553 plate appearances. Do you by any chance happen to have his home run numbers? I believe he had three. I would say it's not a whole lot. Um, but it's it's just really cool to see the way they come in like that and just right off the bat just killing it. I mean, obviously, I don't think he was. He, he did. I mean, ne- the next year he, uh, or 47, 1947, when he did get called up, he did win the rookie of the year that year. Um, so clearly he was he was special, and we do, you know, he's honored to this day, first and foremost, for breaking the color barrier, but not even just for doing so, but he did it as a consummate gentleman and just an awesome baseball player. Just the, you couldn't have asked for a better, um, better person to take on the role he did in sports history he was just uh, a gentleman and a, uh, a truly a consummate baseball player without a doubt and i mean there's a reason why the rookie of the year awards are now named after him of course he, won, he was the first player to win rookie of the year in 1947 he was i believe that was actually one of my uh stories in our last episode yeah one of our episodes something recent a recent one one of us definitely highlighted that um fact and he led the Dodgers to the pennant, the NL pennant that year, 1947, one rookie of the year. So for great reasons, he does have the rookie of the year named after him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well-deserved. This is probably the last week you're going to hear a number of baseball stories on this podcast just because they're fitting. And I think the ones that we picked this week um, just feel very, uh, very good. They're cool stories. 
Um, but yeah, you know, after this week, it's going to be football. It's going to be basketball. We're going to get into hockey. Yeah, there's not too many World Series games that occurred in November. No, not at all. Maybe we can talk a little WWE since WrestleMania is coming to Philadelphia. Yeah, unfortunately, we did not win tickets to the yeah. game the other night. They didn't. They didn't give us a chance to be on the flex cam, but I guess that's what you get when you're wearing the wrong colors in the stadium. So my bad, Tom. Yeah. Hey, maybe next time <laughs> I'll wear a flyer jersey for you so that we can win tickets to WrestleMania. Yeah, brother. Yeah, brother. <laughs> I love a Hulk Hogan accent is one of my favorite or uh, imitations of my favorite things to do. Hell yeah, brother. All right. So <laughs> where are we going now, Brian? We're going to November 3rd, 1934. We're sticking with baseball. New York Yankees first baseman, Lou Gehrig, won the American League Triple Crown after batting 363 with 49 home runs and 165 RBIs. But believe it or not, he did not win AL MVP that, that year. That was given to Detroit Tigers catcher slash manager Mickey Cochran, who batted 320 with two home runs and 76 RBIs. Now, why, you ask? I would say I'm assuming only because he was also the manager. I don't see a reason why. Yeah. I that slash line that he beat out Lou Gehrig. I didn't bother looking for the reasoning because it's asinine. Uh, Lou Gehrig's stat line is just so beyond ridiculous. Um, and just the fact that he won the Triple Crown while doing so. So just to put it into perspective, if you are not familiar with the Triple Crown in baseball, it is leading the league in home runs, RBIs, and batting average. Now, this has happened a handful of t- quite a few times over the years. I'm looking at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 times in the history of baseball has there been a triple crown winner. 18 of those 19 happened in 1967 or before. Um, the most recent of which would, would have been in 2012. Tom, do you know who that was? The last guy to win the Triple Crown? Win the Triple Crown. Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera, 2012. Detroit, Detroit Tigers, Tigers, third baseman. Uh, before that, yeah, there was it, the numbers are pretty crazy, but I think of all the triple, triple crowns, I do think Lou Gehrig's is probably the most impressive. That 363 average with 49 home runs and 165 RBIs. That year, he only struck out uh, 31 times, 109 walks, and uh, nine stolen bases. Not enough for his speed, but he was stealing bases out here. Um, it's a fascinating year for one of the greatest baseball players of all time, and it's pretty wild. I think we, we kind of touched on this before we started. Pretty wild that it was 1934. Um, I always kind of pictured him in my head as like a 50s and 60s player, but like... You would think so because of like how often he's mentioned. I mean, yeah, 80, 89 years ago, he won the <laughs> he won the uh, the Triple Crown. Um, very cool. I mean, the list, the list of guys is... is it's a who's who of a baseball right until you get to Joe Medwick and Heine Zimmerman. Um, but Ted Williams won it, a couple, won it twice. Jimmy Fox, Rogers Hornsby, Ty Cobb. Yeah, you're getting into some of those old, old Frank Robinson. And then the most recent 1967, if you had to throw a guess out, he's a well-known name uh, played. I'll give you, he played in the American league. Um, but 1967, who do you think that might've been? Armin Killebrew. No, his grandson is in the MLB. His grandson? Oh, uh, Yastrzemski. Yes, sir. Carl Yastrzemski uh, in 1967, 44 home runs, 121 RBIs, 326 batting average. And actually, the before that, the it was actually back-to-back years were triple crowns in 66 and 67. 66 was Baltimore Orioles right field uh, legend, right fielder Frank Robinson. So, yeah, pretty cool. Um, a feat that doesn't happen often. There's been a lot more... Um, Pitching triple crown winners, including our good old friend Rube Bedell, nineteen oh five, Philadelphia, <laughs> Philadelphia Athletics. Shout out to Rube. Well, Shout out to Rube. We have another 
pitching triple crown here. Our next one, um, November 2nd, 1972. Oh, we sure do. I didn't even notice that when I put this on here. Philadelphia Phillies pitcher Steve Carlton. Who? Who's Steve Carlton, lefty. <laughs> He's unanimously selected as the National League Cy Young Award winner. He finished with 27 wins for a Phillies team that only won 59 games on the season. Now, check this stat line out. <laughs> that's, that's outrageous. It really is. So he started 41 games for the Phillies that year. He went 27-10. and 10. He had an ERA of 1.97, had 30 complete games, had eight shutouts, pitched 346 in a third innings, struck out 310 guys, and then had a whip of .99. So he faced 1,351 batters on the season. So if you do the math, 310 strikeouts to that 1,350 batters he faced, he struck about struck out about 23% of the batters he faced for that year. So this season then equated to Carlton winning the pitching triple crown as he led the league in wins, ERA, and strikeouts. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it's it's wild. It, and when you put it into perspective how bad the team was, aside from that. Yeah, to have that like mindset to go out and just dominate each and every outing, even though your team is just totally horrible, that's just different level. And that's why you're one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Yeah, and that's why there's a statue of him outside of left field, the left field of entrance yeah. in, at Citizens Bank Park. Yes, a well-deserved statue. I mean, he really is one of the best pitchers. I mean, he's. I don't think he's mentioned enough almost. I feel like he's no. almost like under the radar. I agree. And for someone to put up that kind of numbers, and I mean, if you look at his career stats, they're just, I mean, there's a reason why he is one of the best pitchers in MLB history. Yeah, for sure. Definitely underappreciated and underrated for sure. Especially when you like talk about some of his contemporaries of the era of, of his era, um, you know, like the big one is a guy that, I mean, I, you know, his career was kind of winding down as Carlton did that, but Sandy Koufax, um, they pitched roughly around the same period, um, would be another big one in that time period. There's just so many good pitchers in that era. He had a long career too. Carlton. Oh yes. yeah. Steve Carlton th- pitched from 1965 to 1988. 24 so years in the league. I actually, you know what? I w- did not, I did not know that he spent his first six years as a St. Louis Cardinal. He actually, I figured he was like a Philly for a long time and then kind of bounced around. Well, he was a Philly for a long time, but I don't realize he spent six years in St. Louis. Yeah, he was part of a trade. I forget the exact trade. Uh, I'm sure I could find it right here. I want to say Rick Wise was involved somehow from the Phillies <laughs> to the Cardinals. Yeah, so let's see. So I don't remember all the pieces. So there was a salary dispute. So uh, Cardinals owner Gussie Bush of the famous Anheuser-Busch Corporation ordered for Carlton to be traded. Carl, the Cardinals were offered fifty-five thousand dollars, and Carlton wanted ten. Th- or off, were offering fifty-five thousand. Carlton wanted ten thousand more, so he was traded to the Phillies on February twenty-fifth or twenty-sixth, nineteen seventy-two, for specific just for Rick Wise. Um, the trade is not considered one of the most lopsided deals in baseball history. However, at the time, it appeared to make sense from the Cardinals' perspective, um, as Carlton had only had won seventy-seven games compared to Wise's seventy-five, but Wise was considered to be. Uh, more put together where Carlton was raw and Wise was a, a better, more complete package at the time, but <laughs> we see how that worked out. I don't see any statues for uh, Rich Wise hanging out anywhere. Rick Wise. No, I don't either. Anymore. But So that's actually um, Steve Carlton, 1972, his first year as a Phillies pitcher. We'll talk about a debut for your opening year. Oh, my. And you know what an idiot Gussie Bush must feel like. So screw you, Gussie Bush. Um, you got what you deserved. Looking at the list of tri- triple crowns in Major League Baseball is pretty fascinating because there's a ton of them. 
happened up to like 1945. Yeah, and then it kind of just like fell off. And then it kind of fell off. It was Koufax went, had, Koufax was the next three in 63, 65, 66, followed by Carlton in 72. And it was another 13 years until um, Dwight Gooden popped up and did it for the Mets. You got actually three straight years with Clemens, Roger Clemens in 97, 98 as a Blue Jay, Pedro Martinez in 99, um, and then Randy Johnson, 2002. With the D-backs, I'm guessing? With the D-backs. Who's the most recent, if you had to guess? I think you, you probably know this. It's not that long ago. I'm assuming Kershaw? No, it's Shane Bieber. I'm sorry. It is Shane Bieber in 2010. It was Shane Bieber. 2011 was a fascinating year with where Kershaw won it because he won the Triple Crown in the NL. Meanwhile, Verlander won it for the AL. Wait, so Bieber was what year? 20? 2020. Okay, I thought you said 2010. So, yes, there is an asterisk next to a lot of his. Oh, right, because Bieber 2020, that was a shortened season. Yeah, but either way, very cool. A uh, lot of fun, fun stat. Again, I think it helps with the long history of baseball. And now to get off the baseball train for a minute, Tom, I'm going to take you back to November 1st, 1924. Where are we going? We are going to Boston, where the Boston Bruins officially joined the NHL, becoming the first United States-based team to enter the league. That same year, the Montreal Maroons also joined, but they only lasted until 1938, whereas the Boston Bruins are here to this day, 99 years later. Ugh, the so, Bruins. Yeah, um, yeah, the best, uh, the historically greatest team in hockey uh, history last year until the playoffs hit. Yeah, and losing seven games to the Florida Panthers. Man, satisfying. I've never liked – I don't like – just don't like any of the Boston teams. Really, I, That's a lie. I definitely was a bit of a Celtics fan growing up because I loved KG. Um, but definitely disliked the Boston teams. Uh, yeah, I agree. Even though, I mean, not going to lie, I really did like Tom Brady as a player just because he was like – I mean, he's he, the, so he is the greatest of all time, but he it's just – It's hard not to like him. Yeah, Being he's like – someone who's not a Buffalo Bills yeah, fan, like so he would have the – and 33-3 against the Bills in his career. I don't have like the immediate like dislike for him as you oh, hatred. Just yeah. say it as it is. I hate that. I hated the guy until he le- and then he left New England and like he's a f- cool guy, great player. Just I hated the way he dominated us. But the 1924 NHL season was actually pretty interesting. So there were six teams in the league at the time. They actually only played 30 games apiece. Yeah, the original six. Yeah. So the NHL regular season champion Hamilton Tigers uh, did not participate. In the-, the Hamilton Tigers are actually still a team. Um, not the same iteration, but there is still a Hamilton Tigers, I believe. Or maybe there's somewhere. There's a Hamil- another Hamilton team. Maybe they're not the Tigers anymore. The Bulldogs. So I was wrong. Um, the NHL regular season champion, Tigers did not participate in the playoffs as their players demanded to their owner, Percy Thompson, that they would not participate in the NHL championship series unless they received an additional $200 each for the extra six games played that year. So under their contracts, the Tigers players were to receive the same amount of money no matter how many games they played from December 1st, 1924 to March 31st, 1925. Um, so the president of the NHL, Frank Calder, who the Calder Cup and Calder Trophy are both named after. Calder Cup is the AHL. Yep. And then the Calder Trophy is, that's the rookie of the year? Correct. Okay. Um, he was not amused, saying that the players would be fined or suspended if they did not play in the final series. But the players stated that they would rather retire than to, uh, than have been be taken advantage of. So the day of the uh, the day of the final game, of the semifinals, uh, Shorty Green, captain of the Tigers, met with Calder to try to reach an agreement, but to no avail. The players were all suspended and fined two hundred dollars each instead, therefore eliminating themselves from the playoffs. And so, because of this suspension, the finals never happened. The semifinal playoff series between uh, Montreal and Toronto became the NHL Championship Series. The Canadians won the series and faced off against the Victoria Cougars 
of the WCHO Western Canada Hockey League for the Stanley Cup. Victoria won the series, the last non-NHL team to win the Cup. So, kind of crazy that, first and foremost, the Bruins are still around. There was actually two other teams playing at the time that are still active NHL clubs. Any idea? Uh, Chicago? Are there, you said... Incorrect. So, we got... 1924. So, if the Bruins are the first United States team, that means we had the Canadians and Maple Leafs, like you said. So, the Maple Leafs... Yes, it was the Maple Leafs, but they were the Toronto St. Patrick's at the time. They became the Maple Leafs in 1927. That's right. There is a third Canadian team that, honestly, I didn't even realize was around this long. Uh, Ottawa? Yeah, the Ottawa Senators. Because I knew Winnipeg, they're a recent franchise. Con- after, yeah, after their first iteration. In this. And then going to the Thrasher, then back to Winnipeg. Yeah, Calgary obviously has not been around that long. And neither was Edmonton. Edmonton. So I honestly though, Vancouver. just did not realize that the Senators would have been around that long. Yeah, I think they're one of the original six teams as well. Well, yeah, that's what we're, that, that's who these so are right here. To be, right? the, Tigers, yeah. the Tigers, the Maple Leafs, a.k.a. the St. Patrick's, the Canadians, the Senators, the Montreal Maroons, and the Boston Bruins. I love how, for some reason, having six teams, and two of them both in Montreal makes sense. Clearly didn't since the Maroons folded in 1938. Right. Well, hey, what are you going to do? That's sports. (laughs) It sure is. So, yeah, very, uh, very fascinating. That that was it for our stories, correct? Yeah, we had two each. We wanted to. I was going to say, in my head, a lot to to catch up on. Six makes sense. We do, and there is even more because we hadn't even touched on football yet. No, the NFL. But the current state of football is interesting. There's no. You never hear there's one team that, or one or two teams that are just clearly the best. And, like, you know, I think the Eagles are up there, but, like, I don't think there's any true dominant. There's no, like, this is the team to beat right now. I think if the Eagles can get through Dallas this week, it puts them back at the top of that conversation. Not that they're not already at the top of that conversation, but um, it's just there's been very inconsistent football across the league. Yes, I mean... I think the biggest team that has all of a sudden become the most inconsistent that everybody was kind of choosing to be the NFL rival, uh, NFC rival for the Eagles yeah. was the San Francisco the 49ers. Nin- the Niners. Brock Purdy has all of a sudden looked kind of uh, exposed, I guess you could say. Like, I hate to say it. No relevant. shit. The dude was the last pick in the draft for a reason. They got lucky with him for as long as they did. Yeah, I mean, so everybody thought, I mean, I didn't know him in college, but everybody no, thought neither. in his college career he was like um, – Coming from college, you know, you're the last pick for a reason, like a game manager. Yeah. He was actually kind of like a gunslinger and made poor choices. That's why he fell in the draft. Interesting. So it kind of makes sense because lately he's been throwing more interceptions, turning the ball over. Getting a little more confident than he had been. Yeah. Playing outside the system a bit. Trying to be like a Brett Favre type and really just slinging it out there, which isn't what Brock Purdy can do. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's offense is very quarterback friendly. And if you stay within the system, you can look very good, a la Jimmy G. Sure. Alex, uh, oh, before Alex Smith, <laughs> Kyle Shanahan was there, but um, and now Brock Purdy. So it's like, is Brock Purdy good or is it the system? And it, I think it's, it's leaning no. more towards the system. It's it's very much the system. I personally have never questioned that. I mean, I think in a Shanahan system, you need a quarterback that can get the ball out quick and get it out and put it in a spot, and then your skill players make it work for me. I mean, like look at the skill players that they've compiled over the over the past couple of years. Obviously, McCaffrey out of the backfield, shifty. Yeah, we've beat this drum a lot. 
going back yeah. to when we were recording when we first started. Yeah, just get the ball in his hands. Debo Samuel. Debo, Brandon Ayuk. George Kittle. George Kittle. Like, these are guys that get the ball in their hands let them make the plays. You're not relying on Brett, Brock Purdy to win you games. Um, the addition of Chase Young is definitely interesting to go out uh, on the upset side of Joey Bosa. Um, yeah, you got Javon Hargrave in the middle. Hargrave has had a great year so far for the Niners. Did I say that? Is it Nick, Nick Bosa's the Niner, isn't he? Um, I believe so, yes. Joey yeah, Joey's in, in San Diego. In, uh, or LA, I should say. Sorry. Should be San Diego, but, you know. Uh, but, yeah, putting him opposite of, of Nick Bosa and getting him at a pretty reasonable price. Yeah, mid-round draft pick for the guy Dude, who was the second ba- overall. The Bears paid more for, for Montez Sweat. Sweat, who, again, also a very good player. But Chase Young was supposed to be one of those, like, transformational pass rushers. So, so just can't say healthy, but... As Washington, how much do you regret not taking one of Tua or Justin Herbert at second overall instead of then going chasing him? I mean, so much because you just traded him away for a third, and now you're stuck with Sam Howell leading you to purgatory. Sam Sam Howell looks okay. I think if you can build up the offensive line so he's not getting sacked every, like, (laughs) five-plus times a game. I mean, he's on pace to break uh, David David Carr's um, sack record. Is he? Wow. Yes, which is absurd because that was a lot of sacks. And, like, when you're getting hit that many times and sacked that many times in a season, like, you're not going to have a long career. No, not at all. And, I mean, honestly, I think I don't – I'm not – you know, I think he just – he's going out there giving it his all every week. And just – it's unfortunate that – I mean, not unfortunate. It's unfortunate for him that the the franchise is such a dumpster fire. But I'm curious with new ownership. I imagine that Ron Rivera does not come back next year. I think we might see Biennemi take over as the head coach. Which would be smart because Biennemi is a very, he seems like a very bright person and can have a, has a great game plan. Like he's clearly has figured something out against the Eagles. He picked them apart in the Super Bowl when he was the Chiefs OC. And then in two games so far this year, the commanders have taken it to the Eagles on the offensive side of the ball, but the Eagles have snuck, snuck out two wins. Yeah. One in overtime. Defense. One in this past week, 38 Because well, Washington's defense was just never able to put it together. You had on paper what should have been like the, the best defensive line in the league from at least a pass rushing athleticism youth perspective. I mean, when you look, when you line up across the line, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and Chase Young, like that's a pretty, like in theory, that's a pretty beastly line. But there's a lot of assets invested into that line. And they did not get the return on, on investment there. The ROI is not very good. No, that's something you're going to be banging your head against the wall for. And and that's why, why they're a picks. poverty franchise has changed names multiple times. And, um, you know, we'll see if Josh Harris can do anything, but I doubt it. I doubt it. he's spreading himself too thin. Too thin I mean, and across too many markets. You, like, let's no reason this man should be able to own a team in Washington, Philly, and in New Jersey all at the same time. No, it's conflict of interest in my opinion, but they're not in the same leagues. But I agree. But we don't need to spend our time being petty talking about Josh Harris. I wish I had that kind of money too. Had the private jets, helicopters, whatever. But um, the worst game last week, probably the Jets and Giants, like ten ten, go to overtime, and then Zach Wilson and the Jets somehow sink it out, win to thirteen to ten. We don't need yeah. to spend a whole lot of time on that game because two it was horribly the worst game. ugly teams. But the game that surprised me the most was the one that happened in Denver. Broncos take on the Chiefs 24 to 9. Beat him for the first time in eight years. I mean, I don't know what happened. Patrick Mahomes had some sort of like illness pop up the day before. I think he was playing with like the flu or something like that. I don't know. I haven't paid attention to it, to be honest. I just think it's an excuse that he lost a bad game, just own up to it. Yeah, I I don't know what else to say. But (laughs) I mean, but the Broncos are just so bad. Yeah. And we were talking our last episode how they're like in the running for like a Caleb Williams type or the other Drake May. Yeah. And 
Penix out of Washington. Right, Michael Michael Penix. Penix. Pe- is Penix. it Penix? I don't know. One That's of the two. Penix is probably better than Penix. Yeah, I think I think it's <laughs> Michael Penix Jr. That makes, it is Jr. Yes, but I mean, just from a last name perspective, it's a little too phallic, too quick. Um, but I actually, you know, I was I immediately yeah, Michael Penix. I, I just don't I don't didn't know the pronunciation. Penix definitely makes more sense. Um, good buddy of mine, Kyle. Shout out Kyle. Um, is a big Broncos fan. I texted him after the game. I said, "Dude, what the heck?" He goes, "Honestly, I don't even know. I'm still kind of just processing it all." Russ was cooking. <laughs> Russ, Russ was cooking again for the first time since he put on the. I mean, uh, I wish that was the case because, like, I can't really say yeah, a quarterback's cooking really. when you put up 24 points. Like, yeah, he wasn't really cooking. If you put up 30 plus, I'd be like, "All right, yeah." No, Russ the Broncos' defense was cooking. You yeah. hold the Chiefs to nine points, but I don't, honestly, I don't think the Chiefs are nearly the the dominant. Freight train of a team that they, they have been for the past few years. This outside year. of Travis Kelsey, I don't think Mahomes has any like weapons. viable weapons no. on offense. They don't scare me. If you can shut down Kelsey, you can take away the rest. I mean, easier said than done, obviously. Yeah, you can then take away the rest of Patrick Mahomes' ability to open up the game and be a game changer. It's interesting. For the first time in a long time, there's other teams that I put. I like. I find the Jaguars' offense to be scarier than Kansas City. I find the Ravens to have a better offense than Kansas City. I think that's Cincinnati's the that really around. talking about Who the, the Ravens? Ravens. Well, because they always fall apart at some point. I, you know, I don't think anyone is taking them super seriously, but they're winning games. But they're also like, I mean, like the Steelers are five and three, and the Steelers suck. It just shows where football is at right now. Yeah, football seems like it's very mediocre and parody. A lot of parody this year. Like where in the past you kind of see some top dominant teams. There's just no consistency across the board. I mean, look at my Bills. They've had some horrendous games. And then they've also blown out some teams. I mean, look at what the Eagles did. You think going up to New York and facing the Jets, that's a shit win us. without Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they got us too, so and I get that. You go and lose to them. like That defense is very good. It's un- unfortunate for them and their fans that Rodgers is out, but for the league, honestly, it's great because he's insufferable. Is he going to make a comeback this year? It certainly seems like it's trending that way. I think he. I think they want him to, but I think it's going to depend on where they're at at that point. If they're a couple of games out of a playoff spot, I don't think it makes sense. Yeah, save him for next year. If it's like, hey, we need to win one game, and we're in. And, you know, it's, the storyline is too perfect for him to not come back. And because yeah. he tore his Achilles, like he shouldn't be walking yet, but he's walking around like throwing a football with like confidence. It's, yeah, man. Med- it's I mean, strange. Med- Medicine has changed so much, and the it is modern medicine. I he's also it. uh, it's a billion dollar organization providing that medical care. Um, yeah, you and I are still. Yeah, he's getting the best of the best. Meanwhile, in a boot having the little. Yeah, I tear my Achilles. I'm gonna be sitting in urgent care for four hours. So they tell me, "Hey, you need to go to the ER." And then, uh, you know, then you're getting surgery in a couple of days later. Yeah, it's very different. You got uh, the scooter. You got your one <laughs> leg up on and walking around. Yeah, for sure. It's just a very different world. But I mean, we've seen guys like like injuries aren't lasting as long like going back to baseball bryce should have been out another six months probably previously reese the conversation of him coming back for the playoffs historically never would have even been a conversation no but because medical advances are so great that the the, the people are healing quicker they're healing better and they're healing faster and hey it's good for sports that's for sure yeah i feel like those injuries are becoming so common and there's so much like data on it now the the um like the physical therapy part of it is becoming easier for them to like implement like how to get these guys back quicker on the field yeah for sure all right real quick uh tom i think we should it's about time we start wrapping up this episode but i'm genuinely curious now that we are uh well into the football season i know we made some predictions early on 
Um, if I had to throw at you right now, if you say who are you, if you had to pick uh, the offensive player of the year in each conference, who's your pick? I have two pretty quick off the top of my head. In each conference, I feel like it's AJ Brown and Tyreek Hill. Yeah, They're those, both on pace to like yeah. shatter. Tyreek Hill is yards. on pace. Yeah, so those were the two I was going to pick. I think it's very clear. Uh, that they're both. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's a true clear cut MVP candidate right now. No, I don't. I agree um, with that because you know, uh, the although the record might not show it, the best quarterback in football right now by total touchdowns, completion percentage, QB rating, etc., is 17 in Buffalo, Josh Allen. But the uh, he, it's funny because oh, there's been some complaints from Bills fans that he doesn't look that good this year. And but, they just lost to the Patriots, <laughs> so like it's tough. Hey, dude, they lose a few bad games every year. Like we've we lost on the Hail Murray to Arizona a few years back, and they've lost to Jacksonville in nine to six, and like they have bad games. This is what they do every year. That's and the NFL, and that's why there's 17 games you play. Yes, sir. There's a lot of good time left. I think this weekend I'm most excited to. I think the game I'm obviously love watching my Bills. The game I'm most excited for I think has got to be Eagles Cowboys. I just don't think there's I think it might arguably. I mean, not even arguably. I think it might be the best rivalry in all of football. Um, that there's a true hatred to it. Yeah, hard to argue. It the makes other, it a lot of fun. The, the players other, get into it. They do. And the other really good game, unfortunately, being showcased in Germany. So it's a nine thirty oh, start time. Dolphins Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, I understand that it's your first foray into Germany, so you want to give them a show. But come on, that's a game that needs to be on at a reasonable time for us here because that's uh, that sh- historically should be a very good game. Yeah, like if you're a West Coast fan of the one of those teams, you're getting up at six thirty to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Probably not happening, but Brian, your Bills, they play the Bengals Sunday night. That should be a sure great game, too. They sure do. Um, they oh, the Bengals won. The Bengals really stuck it to us in the playoffs last year. Um, I don't, the Bengals don't really scare me too much. Um, they're inconsistent. And Joe Burrow looks much better, though. He does. They definitely turned it around. I don't think they're a cake. They're definitely not cakewalk. There's a very good chance the Bills lose the game, um, but they just, I don't know. Like, there's not really any one team that, like I said, that's really like, oh, crap. They're going to beat up on us. I think for next week, since we are kind of winding down and baseball is going to be done, I think we will definitely have a like Phillies offseason special, like a wish list of free agent signings, trades, things like that we can put we together can in the coming weeks. Yeah, we can definitely do something like that. But I think next week, Brian, we need to do a recap of our preseason predictions for the NFL and review where we're at right now with the predictions <laughs> we made. See, oh, yeah, we could definitely see how do we're that. looking at halfway through the season, see if we would change anything. And kind of just give a total recap of what we said and see if we look foolish or if we look great. And I think that we should do the same for baseball when the time comes. But I can tell you right now that none of my picks uh, worked out. <laughs> no, I don't think whatsoever. So, uh, but that'd be fun to do. Ch- check back in, do a little uh, a little recap on our guesstimates uh, from early in the year. Uh, definitely on board for that. Tom, do you have anything else to add though before we get moving in, uh, moving here? I think it's. Uh, yeah, it's about that time. It's, it's about the, that time. The bewitching hour here. Um, just make sure you give us a follow at Going Back Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, check us out on Spotify. We usually post on the RSS site, which then links it to Spotify and all your major streaming platforms. Correct. Yeah, um, and, uh, yeah that's all I got. Yeah, definitely. Put a movie quote for you, Brian, before all we do right, get out of here on my end. Um, let's see if you can name this one. You can tell me after we sign off here. Um, okay. I love you. Stay golden pony boy. Yeah. I got you on that one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, check us out. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Going Back Pod. We're very responsive. Uh, you reach out to the Twitter, you're going to talk to Tom. Instagram, you'll get me. Facebook, you'll get me as well. Uh, but we're always here to talk, check things out. Uh, you know, you, something you want to hear. Maybe you you want to get on the pod. You know, we, uh, we're always looking for some fun new ideas. 
um, more stuff, fun stuff to talk about. So definitely uh, let us know if there's anything we can do, anything you want to hear. Appreciate you checking us out for yet another week on Going Back, Back, Back. And we will catch you next week. All right. Peace, y'all.